we have two people that are here. One of them is from India, and then the other one lived in India for a while. But will you guys please welcome Brad and Wilson as they come to the stage. Okay. Are we on? You're on, dude. Woo-hoo! We did that awesome. It was great. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, I was here last year. I don't know if you guys remember. It was in the spring, I think. We were right in the thick of COVID still, dealing with stuff. So it's good. Everyone glad not to have masks on and all that? It's, it's, woo! Feels good, right? It's awesome. Um, so, and Wilson, you were here like four years ago, maybe. Yes, 2018. Wow. That was ages ago. I mean, doesn't it seem like the time before COVID was so long ago? It just like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Wilson, why don't you go ahead and start and you can share your your recovery story. Okay. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, hello, my name is Wilson Saripalli. I'm a great believer in Jesus Christ, recovering from anger, unforgiveness, and people pleasing. We worked I, on this. He's getting it. I yep. was born in a nominal Christian family. My mother is having five children. I am the last one. In India, we have class system. So I was born in untouchable family. And also called as a Dalit. Untouchables are like in India, is like a Bible meaning like leprosy people. They are like a servants and untreated by all I-class people. Uh, to explain about this, uh, when I was 14 years old, my mother sent me to buy postcard uh, in post office. Uh, the family, the postmaster, one who sells the cards, is a I-class man. I went there and I asked her the card. He, he kept the card on the table. I tried to give the money to on his hand. He didn't take it. He scolded me. He abused me. Uh, and he told me to put the money on the table. Uh, this is an untouchable uh, situation in India. Regarding my family, uh, since we are untouchables, born in Dalit family, we do not have much uh, resources because my father was affected by tuberculosis when I was born. My mother is taking care of all five children by herself. In that time, particularly in that time, I, we used to eat one meal a day. And also, I do not have much uh, dresses. And also, I do not have money to buy books. Sometimes, even I do not have money to buy clothes. Uh, when I was in school final, uh, I 
I borrowed the a shirt and a pant of my cushion and I wrote exams. So in this situation that uh, before this happened, when I was very small, six months old, my mother was affected with paralysis. She went to nearby church. She prayed that if God, if he heal, I will give this boy. She carried me like this. I'm a very small boy, six months baby. Uh, she promised that I will give this boy for ministry. So when that days gone by, I was very good in my education. Uh, all my teachers and my family, everybody thinks that I can do very good in exams. Uh, finally, I failed even though I got very high marks in my school. After my school final, because I failed, so I cannot go to higher education. So I went to uh, rod bending. Uh, it, when I went to rod bending, I am sweating. All my hands became bristles. So it is very hard work. One day, one particularly one day, uh, one evangelist came to my home. He wants some help. My mother willing to give because that by that time all my brothers, sisters got married. Myself and my work, my mother is working very hard. So we have little money. So she wants to give him, but at the same time she told, look for this boy a job. Then since he is an evangelist, he told to my mother, send him to Bible school. So I went, uh, that time she remembered her promise and she sent me to Bible school. One particular one day that he asked me, she asked me, can you go to Bible school? I thought it was a very good job because I can wear a preacher robe. <laughs> so I, look, I can look very great. So I will be more happy instead of working as a rod bender. So that is my first time uh, entering to the train. That is my first time to went to a different state. That is my first time to uh, different speaking, staying with a different language. We have different languages in India. So when I went to the Bible school, uh, the preacher is, the teacher became preacher. After his teaching, he is presenting the gospel. When I am hearing that presenting the gospel, I realized myself, I am not worthy to be here. I'm not worthy to be a pastor, maybe better to go home. But in that particular time, I realized myself and also I taught my family about especially my mother. So instead of going back home, better to stay here so that I can get food and also get, I can get stay. So in that period, the preacher Teacher became preacher, he is preaching all the time about gospel. Particularly one day, I accepted my cry, Lord Jesus Christ as my savior. I got saved. Then, uh, then 
I found my wife in the Bible school. I got married. I have two daughters. So from 1990 onwards, I am in the ministry. Even though I am in the ministry, even though I am a preacher, still I have continued in my life angry, uh, unforgiveness, and also people pleasing. If anyone comes to church late, if they if they talk in the church, if they didn't do the properly the administration of the, in the church, I used to get angry like this. Sometimes I used to scold them. Particularly one day, I hit one boy in Sunday school also with a big stick. <laughs> in that uh, situation, that uh, with the help of the passion for people, I am the sharp of passion for people. With the help of the passion for people, with the help of your church support, we started the, uh, this step studies. Few weeks later, I realized myself, I cannot overcome angry, unforgiveness, and also people-pleasing. It can be overcome by with the help of Jesus Christ if I surrender him. So I surrendered myself to him. Now I I'm recovering from that. Still, sometimes I will get angry. But what I do is I will leaving, keeping, uh, going away from that like this. Five minutes, ten minutes. So thank you for sharing this, my testimony. Uh, please pray for us. Thank you. Yeah, I was just going to show you where Wilson hit me with the big stick, right there. So he's still got a problem, but you know, he's working on it. At least he didn't put a nail in the end of it this time. All right, so <clears throat> Wilson, great job. Hey, I think God deserves a hand. I mean, this is... You think about... You think about uh, trying to speak in a language that's not your own, that you're not speaking a whole lot, because you know he lives in India most of the time. And I just, I think he's grown quite a bit. And it's just, you guys can understand mostly, right? Pretty good? Yeah. I told him that, Wilson, you do a good job. He always says, I don't speak English very well. I said, no, you're doing great, man. So um, yeah, I'm excited that Wilson's here and that we're partners in this and we're seeing people come into recovery in India and Nepal, and um, what's cool, a couple years ago I was there with Wilson's group and saying, you know, any of you guys have any stories? A couple pastors came up and they said, yeah, there was this one man, he was in the slum and he was a drunkard and he kept losing his jobs, losing support. He had a wife and kids and she finally was fed up with it and she went back and moved in with her family and uh, just left him and he was gonna kill himself. And then the guys that were doing the step study said, no, 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 you don't need to kill yourself. You can come out of this. There's hope. We'll go, we'll do this with you. And they did a step study with him. He came out of his alcohol. He ended up getting a steady job. And he ended up, his wife saw the change, saw what was happening, and she moved back and reunited the family, amen? And, and this happened twice, two different guys. 
And the other guy actually ended up being able to be such a different person when he wasn't drinking that he was really successful and ended up buying a little house, which for, the, for those, those in the slums, that's a pretty big deal. Actually buying a house, not just renting from someone. And the pastor was so excited. He said, it's just unbelievable what a different person we, beca- we become when we can recover through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Like things you can do that you didn't know you could do, right? I was talking to Jeff, I guess Jeff, Jeff around here somewhere? Your, your, your husband? Yeah. I mean, just hearing a little tidbit, you know, drug addict to, you know, now he's doing quite well and, and really is a smart guy. And it's hard sometimes to see that in ourselves when we're struggling so much every day, right? But don't give up. That's why we're doing these testimonies. So my testimony is a little different than Wilson's. I grew up here in America, obviously. Um, my name is Brad Butcher. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. He was recovering from sex, addic- uh, sex addiction, or sexual addiction, um, people pleasing, and procrastination. Hey, I love that. Um, <clears throat> so the insanity of my life before recovery was that I was trying to make everyone happy and made a fool of myself. A lie that I believed was that I was honest. If I was honest with good people, like people I looked up to, uh, they would look down on me. So I kept my sin a secret and my struggles to myself, and it took more and more control of me. I grew up in a Christian family. My dad was a pastor. My mom was a school teacher. There were five boys and one girl in my family. My mom always wanted a girl, so she tried five times, had boys, finally decided it was time to have foster kids, and she started having foster kids, and, and one of those, before the one that became my sister, was older than us, and uh, she, um, we didn't know, but she had been severely sexually abused and had been kind of trained to give pleasure, and so she, she, uh, she did that. She got us to do that with her in secret. And then I had an older brother, even though I knew it was wrong, and I said, we should tell the parents. He threatened me and said, no, we can never tell anyone. And so I was left with this struggle inside. And um, eventually they found out, and they, they got her to home where there were no other children, and she got some help. It was great. But we didn't get any help because my parents' generation... You didn't talk about any of this stuff. Just slide it under, try to forget it. And I didn't know how much my parents knew, but it tore me up keeping a secret and living a lie and not being able to tell them. I didn't feel comfortable. Um, And I found myself starting to act out. My mom, she would get migraines and she had an anger problem. And she would uh, sometimes take it out on us and a lot of times on my dad and we saw that and it really was hard for us kids being around that all the time. A lot of, a lot of fighting and uh, so we resented her for it. Later on we came to find, figure out as we became adults that she had really bad migraine problem from some health issues. So she had a lot of migraines and she worked as a teacher and uh, you know being a teacher is not an easy job. I find my, my wife homeschools and now I know. It's like, man, this is, this is a lot of work, especially uh, the way kids are sometimes. And uh, 
So she came with migraines a lot. Now I have a lot more compassion for her, but it was really hard. Um, I kept this a secret, didn't tell anyone until I was in my mid-20s at a seminary counseling class. And during this course, we practiced counseling on each other. And my partner um, probed and helped me to think about when did I start struggling with my lust and self-pleasure and the things that I did when I was stressed or discouraged. And as I began sharing it, it uncovered the abuse. I had totally blocked it out. And all of a sudden, I remembered all the things that happened and all the lies. And, uh, and I started to do my, my recovery. I started to do an inventory. Um, and, uh, and then I wrote a letter to my parents and told them everything and asked for forgiveness. Um, and that was the start for me of my recovery journey. But let me take you back a little bit to before that, because um, even though my parents went, what, uh, meant well, the things they did, um, they weren't perfect. And with all this going on in my heart, God seemed distant from me. And I couldn't talk to my parents about heart level things very well because I was always afraid of the secrets coming out. And <clears throat> I began to blame God for making me a pervert, for allowing this to happen. I didn't like who I was. I didn't like that I couldn't control myself. And because I didn't like myself, I made fun of other kids at school. I was a bully. I would get in fights. Um, I had a bad mouth and a hot temper. And I knew that I was twisted. And I, um, I looked with fear on the future of someday having to tell someone if I wanted to marry them, all these things, right? And I just knew it wasn't going to be good. And this put a wedge between me and my parents. I was living a double life. But then I went to a youth camp, and I had a counselor who could see the troubles I had because he had been through some similar things. And he, too, had put God in a box with what had happened to him as a kid. Didn't think God was really anyone that would help you. You were on your own. You had to do things for yourself. Look out for yourself. But he challenged me. He said, if Christ went to the cross for me, then how could he be responsible for all these evils happening to me? It wouldn't make sense. He said, if he had done that for us to make us clean and free and forgiven, to give us a, new, a chance to be new, and different, then he would not go through a crucifixion if what he did wouldn't actually do that for us. Because being crucified publicly and mocked and ridiculed and whipped and pierced hand and feet and brutally beaten, would you go through that if it didn't do anything for anyone? Of course not. He did that because he knew it was the only way. And it would give us the opportunity to be made new. And he did rise from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, then we know he has the power to resurrect our lives to something new. He conquered sin and death. And so he kind of was preaching this to us. 
And he said, surely, he didn't die for nothing. He will change you, and he's changed me. And we could see it in his life. He was one of the most loving college-age kids we knew. And we were like, man, how does he put up with all of us teenagers? And some of us were worse than others. And he had so much patience, and he had so much understanding. And it felt like he was like what you'd expect if Jesus came into someone's life. And yet he had a story. He'd been places. And God had done it. And he challenged me. He said, you know what I did? I went out and I poured out my heart to God. Told God how I was feeling. And asked God to speak to me. And you should do the same. Because you know a lot about God being a pastor's kid. But you actually don't seem to know God. Do you really want to know God? Why don't you give him a try? He challenged us. So I went out in the forest. And I poured out my heart to God. I yelled at him at the first told him how he had messed everything up. Where was he? Why didn't he stop this? And I let him have it. And I just started crying and telling and screaming to God. And it did feel pretty good. Then, instead of God giving me the silent treatment I deserve for disrespecting him, he actually opened my heart and mind to his affection. And I felt his presence. And I felt that God was telling me that he still loved me, and he never had not loved me, and that he did have plans for me. And I also felt God saying to me, reminding me of all he'd gone through, out of his way to rescue me, to forgive me, to take my punishment and my shame. He was humiliated in my place. He reminded me that he made me and whom I should be living for, to honor and to serve, was him. And I felt the weight of God's presence and his holiness. And I thought, if you did all, Lord, look what I've done to you. If you did all that for me, and I started to believe it, right? I started to believe all that I knew growing up. And God opened my eyes. That's all I can say. And I knew he had done that for me. He had been on the cross for me. He came from heaven to earth for me. And so I started to pour out my heart, repenting of all the things I'd done, how I'd rejected him, how I blamed him, how I shamed him, how I was living a double life, how I lied to my parents and others. I cried and cried. I gave it all to God. Finally, I cast myself at his feet and told him I would give him everything. He could have this life if he wanted it, broken and messed up. And as I did that, I felt God's forgiveness I felt hope in my heart that God was the only one who could make me a new creation, a new person, and that he was going to do it. I had hope that he was going to do it, and I had tears of joy. My weeping turned to joy, and it was one of the greatest moments of my life. I went immediately and began telling others how I felt and that I was going to start living for Jesus, and I started living for Jesus. And I started making some changes, and I would find myself having victory for days, weeks, and months. But as the excitement wore down, I realized I was still a slave to my addiction, and I didn't know what to do about it. And it wasn't until later in my life, when I had gotten married and 
when I had gone into full-time ministry, serving Jesus, and we ended up in India because Jesus had done so much for me. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, serve the least of these. And I found out India has a third of the world's extreme poverty and a lot of unreached people have never heard about him. You know, we're told that they are worthless, like Willens told you, a lot of untouchables. And they needed to hear about the gospel. So when we were there in India, there was a woman who worked in our house helping us with uh, cooking for us because we didn't know what to do food-wise while we lived there. It wasn't the same as here. And she was wonderful, Bharati, good cook, and she took care of us. And um, she would come beat up and bruises all over her. And she would tell us something happened, this and that, I feel, you know, whatever. Then she came with a broken arm. And we were like, no, we're not taking that again. We know this looks like someone grabbing you. This looks like handholds and different things. And we got it out of her that her husband was an alcoholic and he would, she feared going home at night, she would get beat quite often. And then we realized talking to others, this was very common. A lot of alcoholics because they have no hope. They're in the caste system. They're garbage collectors and, and rod benders and they have such a hard life and nobody... Uh, we'll let them do anything more, right? They're oppressed. And so a lot of them go to, they go to it. Um, they go to the alcohol to try to escape. And so we said, God, what do you want us to do? And God put this recovery idea on our hearts. We could help these men in recovery. I had never had any experience. So I Googled it, of course, like anyone would. And I found Scott Miller. Celebrate Recovery International. India, India director, Scott Miller. And I was like, okay. You know, sent him an email, said I live in Hyderabad, India, and I had this experience, and I think we need to help these people. Uh, we got churches full of women and children, and men are, so many of them, even though they're Christian, they're powerless, and they're abusing their families, and it's terrible. And they need to see that Jesus can actually transform. I think this is a great way to help them. Amen. So we started to do that, and that's when finally he answered me back, and I said, I'll pay for Pissarro to come down, and he can train us. And we got Wilson. Wilson, get your pastors together. Let's get these people in recovery. Let's get the pastors getting it and understanding it, and then they can give it to the people. Amen? And so we started doing that. That's why we're here today. But it doesn't end there for me. Then I was presenting Celebrate Recovery a few years ago to a bunch of uh, guys that ran a network of 1,200 churches in India. I said, we could do recovery for all those churches. And they weren't ready for it. But then two of their leaders that were younger in their 20s came to me and said, privately, will you do a step study with us? And I was like, me? Yeah, you. We don't trust the Indians. We want you. Because <laughs> you're, you're going to be in America and we can tell you anything and nobody will get inspired or whatever, right? And I was like, uh, sure, I've never done a step study. And it was God's way of getting me in the step study. Isn't he tricky? Yeah. And I did it. And I'll tell you this. It was the best thing because I started the journey in seminary and I uncovered some things. But I was still struggling. And it wasn't until I did my full steps, which God knew I needed to, with these brothers, that I started to really understand and break free more and more. And the inventory was huge. And then your daily inventory and having an accountability partner you know, religiously has really changed it for me. And I've had so much more freedom 
And it's just been awesome, right? And those two brothers, those two young men, they had a serious porn problem. And they, they seriously thought if we told our boss and other people, we'd lose our jobs, we'd lose everything. And, and, and they felt so happy. They were in tears finding a safe place Talk about the stuff that was enslaving them and destroying them from the inside out. And now God has just blessed them. They've got more freedom. They started a website type thing, like Unspeakable or something, where they're letting young people talk about stuff they, they can't talk about. Isn't that awesome? And helping them see there's options for recovery. So I want to encourage you guys with these things, that what you're doing and praying for is making a big difference. And um, thank you for letting me share my story. Um, thanks guys hey let's hear it for Brad and for Wilson one more time so uh, those of you that don't know Tuesday nights happens I go home and I can never sleep till about 11 30 12 o'clock at night <laughs> just because it's so awesome right and then I usually have to get up early in the morning and I meet with these fellas on a whatsapp and uh, in my office at 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> that is a rough turnaround for me. I'm not quite like that, but uh, I've had a chance to meet these guys. And one of the things through this relationship is we're gonna go to India. There's lots of ways that uh, you can be a part of that. If you want information, Brad and Wilson, after the open share group time, will be in the Welcome Center. So we'd love for you to come by and talk to them. But there's a couple different ways. One is to go to, to India with us. That is our ultimate goal, that you guys would want to go with us. Um, two is that you guys would be willing, if you've gone through a step study and you're available, to do a sponsorship with somebody. That doesn't mean pay their way. That means, like here, that we become somebody's sponsor that's, right. that's in India. And the third one is be a part of the a prayer team with us. And so uh, I encourage you, stop by the Welcome Center, talk to them, get your name on a piece of paper, and let us contact you and give you more information. And I want to say one last thing, too. If you have never experienced the power of Jesus in your life to forgive you and give you a new heart and start, come talk to me about that, too. Or maybe a bunch of people here, right, that have experienced that because that's, that's what it's all about. That's true. Amen. That's true. Hey, let's stand up or continue standing or wherever you're at. Um, let's close our serenity prayer and we'll get off the group. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever and the next. Amen.